Chapter thirty three of the Ocean of Air Meteorology for Beginners. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Ocean of Air Meteorology for Beginners by Agnes G. Byrne. Chapter thirty three Dust of the Air. The ocean of air, as we have already seen, is a mighty carrier of fine dust. What an amount of dust there is in the world, and how little we commonly consider where it all comes from! Clouds of dust, swept along by a March blast, are suggestive of colds and coughs, no less than of a good harvest worth a king's ransom. March dust is coarse, rough, gritty, a foe to eyes and throats. Other kinds may be finer, yet not less injurious. We hear of such dust in manufactories, perilous scrapings and filings which float about, and are breathed into the lungs to tell upon frail human organs shortening life. A deadlier dust, this, than the wickedest road grit of an English march. The busy air ocean bears all kinds to and fro. Dust is plentiful enough, not to say more than enough, at all times and everywhere, a companion which we labor to keep out of sight in our homes, but which never can be exterminated. Each grain or speck of dust, however small, is a mass of atoms, and atoms cannot be put out of existence by any force at our command. After all, dust may not really be more than enough in quantity, if, as some think, it is absolutely needed for the formation of every mist, every cloud, as well as every fog. We could not do without clouds. Still, there is an aggravating persistency in dust. Strive as we may, it is never got rid of. Open the window to let it go, and the very air which carries it off brings in a fresh supply. Rub a mahogany surface bright as a mirror, and lo! Before you can turn away, tiny gray specks are settling down again. In fact, the most we can do is to act the part of a London policeman with perpetual move on to the little vagrants. They do move on, no doubt about that. Dust is never long at rest. Perpetual circulation of dust is as true as perpetual circulation of air, though less important to us. There are many kinds of dust in the world, some, such as gold dust, having a market value. But in treating of common dust, gold may be put out of our calculations. Though doubtless a minute speck of it does wander here and there through the depths of the air ocean, we do not generally realize how full our rooms are of dust. Unless the atmosphere is unusually laden, our senses do not make known the fact. Dust specks are forever traveling here and there, up and down, north and south, east and west, uncontrolled, as the winds themselves, in a continual restlessness. They are always settling down somewhere, yet the air is always crowded with them. Most of this goes on unnoticed by us. But let a room be left a few days undusted, and results are patent enough or let a ray of bright sunlight stream in, and the whole world of dancing many-hued motes is revealed. 
where do all these modes come from from everywhere from anything from all imaginable surfaces as varied as are earth's substances so varied are the kinds of dust floating in the air ocean no substance probably exists which does not under common conditions part with minute portions of its surface those portions passing away as fine dust into the air more or less everything crumbles everything wastes the wear and tear of friction in daily use make dust the rubbing of one body against another makes dust the progress of growth and decay makes dust the effects of frost rain and wind are to make more dust the mere action of damp air in even a reposeful mood brings about the crumbling of hard surfaces and so makes dust with certain substances hard friction is needed to wear the surface but in a greater number there is a constant giving off of fine particles to be added to the array of dust above and beyond all these sources great quantities of meteorite dust are ever coming into our atmosphere from distant space these and other kinds float into the ocean of air the heavier motes dropping the soonest the lighter borne to and fro indefinitely even at vast heights above the earth it has been already explained in earlier chapters how the formation of fogs and clouds the blue of the air the fair colors of sunset the brilliant hues of the aurora borealis are all believed to be more or less due to fine floating dust in the atmosphere if one could analyze the dust specks collected in a single room curious results would be obtained among a hundred motes perhaps a few might own to the same source this from a log of wood that from a mass of metal this from the skin of a man that from the fur of a beast this from a woolen dress that from a shabby shoe this from the stem of a tree that from the petal of a dying daisy this from a pile of volcanic debris that from a chalk cliff this from a coal in the fireplace that from the frond of a fern this from a fallen meteorite that from the dried silt of a river bed this from the wing of a butterfly that from the pollen gatherings of a busy bee and so on ad infinitum light substances are often carried to immense distances by moving currents of air especially in the upper regions of the atmosphere just as a quickly flowing river can keep earth and sand long afloat so rapidly moving streams of air can keep fine dust aloft for an almost indefinite length of time great quantities of salt are carried by winds from the ocean over the land when gentle evaporation takes place on a still day the vapor passes upwards leaving its salt behind but when winds stir the surface of the sea lifting waves and catching away the salt spray they bear salt and spray together sometimes for many miles inland towards the end of april eighteen eighty two a very severe storm reached our shores from america happily not without previous warning so that the damage done to shipping was less than it might have been the winds blew furiously amounting even to a hurricane in force some gusts were known at Kew 
to travel at the rate of seventy or eighty miles an hour. A remarkable feature of this storm was its effect upon the fruit crops. Apple blossoms in multitudes were swept away, and those that remained had grown black, as if with blight, while the young leaves might from their look have been scorched by a withering flame. In gardens and in woods the same was seen. The foliage of plants, shrubs, trees, more especially on the windward side, being shriveled and blackened, as if with sudden decay. This was not the result of sharp frost, for though cold it was not frosty. What could have caused so unusual a result perplexed many. Somebody offered a suggestion that the salt-laden condition of the winds might form a clue to the mystery, and in the next report from the Coup Observatory this idea received strong support. In proof of its probable truth, three interesting facts were stated. At a certain place in Dumfrieshire, about fifty miles from the North Sea, during strong east winds, the presence of salt spray had been detected on the leaves of evergreens. A calculation had been made, as the result of careful examination, that at Pennycook, near Edinburgh, ten miles away from the sea, every acre of land receives yearly, through its regular rainfall, no less than 640 pounds weight of salt. In ocean storms, salt flung by the winds with water into the air often renders the atmosphere so dark that sailors can see no way ahead. By a strong gale, such salt spray might well be carried forty or fifty miles. These facts help to explain the carrying of salt from place to place. But in truth, the air is at all times more or less full of salt, floating as fine powder among the floating moats of the air-ocean. If salt is thus borne to and fro, much more will fine dust by the sport of breezes and winds. Dust is frequently carried away from deserts and volcanoes for hundreds or even thousands of miles before being dropped to earth. When it does descend, it may come down gradually, winning no particular attention, or it may fall as a sudden dust shower. Falls of dust have often taken place at Malta, at Genoa, and in the south of France, and the dust was commonly supposed to be African in its origin. On certain occasions, however, when carefully examined, it was found to be quite different from the dazzling white sand of Sahara, being instead of a reddish-yellow color, and both in itself and in the microscopic creatures it contained, it was known to be a kind peculiar to South America. About the middle of the present century a tremendous storm visited Lyons and Grenoble, bringing with it the unusual phenomenon of red rain. Blood rain, or blood-red rain, people called it, though the tint was not strictly so red as blood. Some of the rain was carefully secured and put under the microscope. The colouring was then found to arise from a large amount of the reddish-yellow dust mentioned above being mixed with the raindrops and lending to them of its own reddish hue. Footnote. The red of the dust was found to be due to iron oxide. End of footnote. Many falls of so-called blood rain had been known earlier, and nervous people were greatly terrified by them, 
but for a long while the simple solution of the puzzle was not discovered red snow as well as red rain is sometimes seen the colouring of the snow being due to a very minute vegetable growth here again the busy winds must have been at work carrying germs the cause is not necessarily always the same in either case one famous historical instance of red rain was at the hague in 1670 people generally regarded the visitation as an omen of war and disaster but a physician living thereabouts looked into the liquid with his microscope although microscopes then were not what microscopes are now he made out easily that the water in itself was unchanged but that it was filled with countless myriads of minute lively red insects a kind of tiny water flea the only possible explanation of their sudden descent from the clouds was that the winds must have caught them up elsewhere brought them from a distance and poured them down with the rain early in the present century a remarkable fall of inky rain was known at montreal in canada here however a solution of the mystery lay ready to hand microscopes speedily showed that the blackness of the raindrops was due to soot an immense forest fire had taken place far away south of the ohio river and prevailing south winds had borne masses of soot from the great conflagration to the skies of canada thence to be showered down mixed with water as black rain few who saw them will forget the extraordinary sunsets of november eighteen eighty three red and pink orange and yellow green and purple glows were contrasted often with streaks of ebony cloud one evening the western sky would be all aglow with orange another evening the whole was bathed in crimson the moon was sometimes a clear steel blue sometimes a distinct green even in smoky london magnificent sky effects were visible and wonderful reports came from around the world from the Mediterranean and the Pacific, from India and Australia, from Canada and the United States. Those who rose at an hour to watch for sunrise were rewarded by like visions of beauty. No common conditions in the ocean of air could cause this display, lasting through many weeks. A mighty eruption of Mount Krakatoa in Java had taken place that summer, such an eruption as our Earth seldom knows. For those near the spot it was a terrible experience. Black darkness reigned for scores of miles around. There were fierce lightnings and balls of fire, and crackling noises in the atmosphere, mingled with continual crashes as from heavy artillery. The sounds reached, indeed, to an utterly unprecedented distance. Over ninety miles off, the noise was simply deafening, while it could be distinctly heard at Rodriguez, nearly three thousand miles away yet strange to say the explosions which literally blew to pieces two-thirds of the mountain though audible over one-fourteenth of the entire surface of earth were not so much noticed in the neighbourhood of the volcano no doubt the thick clouds of dust filling the air deadened their roar as a dense fog or thickly falling snow deadens sound the vast mass of materials, belched upward in a black cloud from the rent and shattered mountain, 
was estimated to be about seventeen miles in height. Pumice, dust, and ashes were rained lavishly upon land and ocean for hundreds of miles around, all heavier pieces and coarser dust falling comparatively near. But enormous masses of light friable glassy dust, carried to lofty levels in the atmosphere, were borne away by winds to far distances. Consequent on the great explosion, a wave of water, fifty feet high, was sent careering through the strait into the southern ocean, while an air-wave of unexampled grandeur went circling round the world. On the very same day, a thin white mantle was drawn over the blue sky for a thousand miles to the westward, the sun shining dimly through, like a dull reddish lamp. Then followed the remarkable appearances already mentioned, green and blue and coppery suns, green and blue moons, skies of gorgeous radiance, clouds of burnished gold, copper, brass, silver, such as Turner in his wildest dreams never saw. We have already seen how the common blue of the air, the ordinary tints of sunrise and sunset, are believed to be largely due to fine dust floating in the atmosphere, both dust of solid materials and liquid water dust. Here, in the abundant pumice dust of Krakatoa, was an intensified form of the same cause, intensified results in the way of colouring being therefore produced. The masses of dust travelled fast. Mounting to a great height, above trades and anti-trades, they were caught in the embrace of a full fair easterly gale, an unresting hurricane, the very existence of which had not before been conjectured, and were hurried with extraordinary swiftness round the earth. The whole tour of the equator was accomplished, it is believed, by these clouds of volcanic dust in less than a fortnight, and still they circled round and round for many weeks, even for months, giving to mankind the grand sky displays of that year. Gradually the dust became dissipated in all directions, but as for dropping to earth, that is a slower matter. No reason is known why dust, once lifted fifty or sixty miles above earth's surface, may not remain there for years. In Holland and in Spain, dust material brought down by snow and rain, at the time of these radiant sunsets, was examined. In both cases it was said to contain volcanic dust, apparently agreeing in kind with the ashes thrown from the crater of Krakatoa. Dust storms in India are of common occurrence. Sometimes they advance as a broad wall of dust, composed of a number of separate columns, each column being a small whirling cyclone of wind, thickly laden with dust. Such a column may be seen only five or six feet in diameter, and fifty or sixty feet high. Electricity has now doped a hand in these storms. A regiment on march in the Punjab was once caught in a severe dust-storm, followed by rain and lightning. As the rain came down, the tips of the men's bayonets and the peaks of the caps worn by the officers were seen shining with a curious electrical light. Enormous quantities of dust are swept up from earth by the upward-whirling motion of these small cyclones, and are often borne to an extraordinary height. 
it has been doubted whether dust showers alone would account for nearly so much as is carried aloft dust storms are known to australians as well as to inhabitants of india and everybody naturally connects them with deserts with respect to egypt we read in the early spring the Khamsin does indeed afford a very unpleasant change to comment upon it is a hot dry wind laden with fine particles of dust which penetrate everywhere fill one's eyes and ears irritate the skin and produce a sense of extreme discomfort everything is seen through a lurid haze the sands of the desert are whirled by it into rotating columns which march to and fro till they suddenly break up and disappear on the river this is merely a cause of annoyance but in the desert it becomes a serious danger caravans are said to have perished and been buried beneath the drifting sands footnote from the land of the pharaohs and footnote the Khamsin of egypt is identical with the simoon of arabia and the burning sirocco of italy is believed to be the same only tempered by its passage across the water the following sketch of a so-called sirocco from the pen of a french army surgeon accompanying french troops in north africa sounds like the genuine desert blast it was towards the end of july eighteen forty six several soldiers had succumbed to the heat the sirocco assailed our little column under the influence of this dry heavy and enervating air the breathing became difficult the lips and the nostrils cracked by the burning dust driven up by the wind were both dry and painful and the throat as it were became contracted the face was burned by gusts of heat sometimes followed by tremor and a fainting away which resembled syncope the perspiration ran off in streams and the water which was eagerly swallowed did not quench the thirst but increased the stomachic pains and the difficulty of breathing to walk would have been impossible we felt half suffocated under cover of the tents and in the open air the burning breeze caused a choking sensation but for the water our column must have perished footnote from the atmosphere by c flammarion and footnote the simoon of the desert is worst and most frequent at the time of the equinox commonly it is first seen as a distant black spot which rapidly draws nearer and grows bigger then a rush of burning sand-laden air arrives from which birds and beasts flee in abject terror a camel turns his back to the blast and if possible finds a bush to shelter his face simoons vary greatly in degree some travellers having met with far slighter ones than others at the best the scorching air and drifting sand cause much bodily discomfort but at the worst they mean extreme peril to life early in the present century an entire caravan consisting of two thousand men and eighteen hundred camels were all overwhelmed and suffocated by simoon it is believed that the fifty thousand soldiers sent by cambuses against the temple of jupiter amon perished in the same way one can well imagine the difficulty of breathing such burning air thickly filled with fine particles of hot sand it is in fact the same danger as that encountered by the american caught in a blizzard the danger of being stifled 
human lungs are not made for densely thickened air whether the thickening arise from cold snow dust or from scorching sand end of chapter thirty three